You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Lindsay Holiday, host of the History Tea Time YouTube channel and podcast. Katie and Nathan wanted me to let you know that this show is liberally sprinkled with colorful language. If profanity spoils your party, then this may not be the podcast for you. But if you enjoy expletives in your comedy history podcast, then I think you're going to love it. You may also like the taste of my podcast, History Tea Time, where I spill the tea on history. I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals from across the world, explore royal family trees, put modern royalty into historic context, delve into topics like how women of the past gave birth and handled their periods, and much more. Hi, this is Katie. And this is Nathan. And you're listening to Queen's Podcast, the show about badass women in history. Guess what time it is? Is it time for another episode of Queen's Podcast? Yes, it is. And I'm so excited about this next topic. You guys are gonna love it. I am obsessed. Like, I mean, I get a little bit obsessed with every person that we cover. But, like, oh my god. This This woman. She was a superstar um a dancer a singer all-out performer businesswoman absolute wild life she was also a world war ii spy uh activist for civil rights nathan who are we talking about today we are talking about josephine baker oh i am obsessed with her this has been so much fun to cover like, yeah, and so for the drink, <laughs> we're drinking the Josephine Baker. Um, <laughs> so in Booze Clues, I couldn't tell you the name of it because it's her name. <laughs> um, so it's an ounce and a half of cognac, an ounce and a half of tawny port, and then about a half of an ounce of apricot liqueur, and then a little bit of... Uh, so you're supposed to add egg whites and... Bleh, I yeah. did not want to do that. So yeah. I ended up using um, some cherry bitters instead uh, to kind of echo a little bit of an old fashioned, okay. but a little bit sweeter with some fruity notes to it. So cheers. That's what we're drinking. The Josephine Baker a la Nathan. <laughs> it was good. If you like, if you like an old fashioned and you like whiskey, you'd probably like this because it does have that citrusy kind of whiskey flavor to it. So Katie's not a big whiskey drinker unless it's fireball. Oh, I do love Fireball. Or the peanut butter whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Ooh. Don't remind me. Hangover. Ugh. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, okay. Before we get started, 
We got a couple of shout outs to do for our Patreon supporters. Hoo-hoo! Uh, all right. So first of all, thank you, Lindsay, Madison, Cole, and Faye. Also, shout outs to Nicole, Shayla, Stella, and Ingrid. Thank you. And of course, thank yes. you to all of our Patreon followers. And hey, does anyone listening, if this is your first time or 50th time, a welcome back. Sparkle, baby, sparkle. Yes. Today, we are talking about Josephine Baker, a.k.a. Frida Josephine McDonald. Yes. Who was born June 3rd, 1906 in St. Louis, meet me in St. Louis, um, Missouri. Uh, so that makes her a Gemini. Probably. I love her already. Um, I actually, I took a, I did a scan on Twitter and was like, how do you pronounce this? And overwhelmingly everyone was like, it's St. Louis. You pronounce the S. Okay. So somebody needs to tell Judy Garland to re-sing that song. <laughs> Hey, Just, Judy. Hey, bring her from the dead. Who knows necromancy? Anybody know necromancy? Uh, we can just do a seance. Louis, Louis. No. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she was, um, pro- she definitely was born in St. Louis, Missouri. The birthday is a hard probably. One important thing you need to know about Josephine Baker is that she was an unreliable narrator for yeah. her own life. <laughs> she wrote stories she, and those are air quotes <laughs> yes yes she liked to say she liked to say um she told a reporter once i don't lie i improve on life and uh, I love this. the co-writer of because she wrote several autobiographies but that's the thing like they don't all tell the same story of her life and mm-hmm. so one of the uh, co-writers of her autobiographies once said josephine liked to not remember things all the time <laughs> This all signs point to Gemini. Mm. <laughs> all signs. This, bit, this bitch is peak Gemini. She is the duality, the outgoing, like the, yeah, she is, I definitely believe that she's a Gemini. So, yeah. Also, in one of her autobiographies, she wrote that a black childhood is always a sad childhood. And uh. unfortunately, we're going to talk about some bummer shit. And yeah, because uh, history's a little bit racist. Yes, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so this time in American history was not chill if you were a person of color. And Josephine definitely felt that. So her mother, Carrie McDonald, had dreams of being a vaudeville dancer and she was really good. Like, she performed locally around Missouri. Everybody knew her name. That was, mm-hmm. you know, in the local taverns. But those dreams came to a halt when Carrie got pregnant. So let's rewind a little bit. Back into the 1900s. And if you got pregnant and you weren't married, big deal. Big st- stigma. Like, I mean, it's still a lot of a lot of people do, do still view it as a stigma. Obviously, it's not like it was in 1906. Who is Carrie's baby daddy? Who is Josephine's dad? So, do you want the long answer, short answer? What are we looking for here? Sh- uh, the answer? Queen's podcast. We want we want a long answer. Let's spill that tea. <laughs> so, Carrie told Josephine that her dad was a vaudeville drummer. And co-worker of Carrie's 
named Eddie. This probably wasn't true, but for starters, Josephine was born in a hospital, which seems to like, um, okay, she was born in a hospital, pretty normal. But in the 1906, everything was segregated as hell. You weren't black and born in a hospital. No, 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 no. That's only what white women did. They were the only ones that were able to afford to be able to go to the hospitals to have baby. And black women had babies at home, you know. And with black women, you know, something went wrong during childbirth. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Hey, man. Good luck. It's nice knowing you. Hope it goes well. Like, okay. yeah, the fact that Carrie had Josephine in the hospital was the talk of the town. Everyone's whispering, like, S- who pulled strings to get her in here? Who is footing this hospital bill? Because she was actually in the hospital for two weeks. Ew. So that I know. So it must have been a really, really rough delivery. And so, again, uh, you know, the fact that she had a baby in a hospital bed, she had to have a benefactor. Um, and also, we'll learn later, this will come up several times in Josephine's life. She had a much lighter complexion than the rest of her family. So this leads every, all signs point to that her biological father was probably a rich white guy that was just like in the town. Okay, so totally off topic, but kind of on topic. I watched the Harry and Meghan documentary. Okay. And it's very much this kind of vibe of a fair-skinned black woman who's treated like shit. So let's continue. (laughs) Oh, no, it's a reoccurring theme, especially in her childhood, which we will get into. It's It's a reoccurring theme in history. Yeah. With her family, she was lighter than them, so she didn't fit in with her family. And then with the white people, she's too dark to fit in there. So, like, she just, in St. Louis, she just really didn't have a place that made sense for her. That's so fascinating to me is how, like, even amongst races, they can be like, you're not black enough or you're not white enough. Well, that's nothing that we can speak to as being um, the two whitest people who have ever lived in this world. That Just from my research of Josephine, that was a huge struggle in her early life, just not having a place to fit because she wasn't black enough and she wasn't white enough. Um, yeah, yeah, and tons of poverty. We don't understand how she would have grown up. Like, she yeah. didn't even have shoes to wear. Right. They, they didn't even have a toilet in right. their apartment. Yeah. If, Carrie's like, babe, if Carrie's boyfriend, if Josephine's dad foot the bills for the hospital bill, that's the only thing he ever did. Because they grew up, like you were saying, just like, I feel like a lot of times in this show, we talk about these women's childhoods that um, we could never relate to because we don't know what it's like to grow up in a palace. But I feel like, similarly, we could never... for yourself. I know, I know. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I forgot forgot about Palais Foster over there. uh... (laughs) But we could also never relate to her childhood either because of that level of poverty. Like, they would, they would kill, like, they would catch rats and sometimes eat them, like, at their house. Like, because they just didn't, I know, because there were so many rats and they needed something to eat. Like, just the level of poverty that she grew up in is something that you and I will never relate, never understand, you know, hashtag blessed, but like, oh, just so, so sad. Yeah. And then to support them, um, Carrie got a job as a washerwoman and 
at this point, it's really sad. This is where she started to resent Josephine for all of this. Mm-hmm. It's like, really, you're going to be upset that you gave birth to a child and like, it's not her fault for being born. She didn't ask to be um, fucking born. Right. But as a result, Carrie never really gave her eldest daughter affection um, which might she blame? She's in showbiz, <laughs> and that's showbiz, kid. Because none of us got enough love in our childhood. Um, but no, yeah, she was like, "Well, you're the reason that you know m- me having my unplanned pregnancy with you is why everybody looks on me like I'm garbage. You're the reason I had to leave my true passion of working on vaudeville. You're the reason I'm now living in poverty because yeah. I have to support you." That is just too much to put on a little girl that didn't, like you said, didn't ask to fucking be here. Yeah, right. Not my fault that, you know, you fermented me in your uterus. Yeah, she had no Did part I in it. say that? Fermented <laughs> in the uterus? I don't know if that's really the process, but sure. In the gay world it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when Josephine was just a few years old, her mom married a guy named Arthur. And Arthur was very kind man, but didn't really help with that whole poverty thing. No. Uh, it seems like stepdad probably suffered from some kind of depression, anxiety, because he just laid in bed all day and he couldn't motivate himself to get up and do something. Like, Yeah, I saw the phrase habitually unemployed several times in my research to explain to habitually describe her unemployed habitually Sounds unemployed like a lot of my ex-boyfriends yeah, same same but Trash. um so at least he was i mean it seems like he was always nice to josephine we hear a lot of horror stories about stepdads and these like type, type situations so he was nice he just was another mouth to feed that wasn't making any money you know so yeah um so mom and stepdad have a few more kids and like we were saying, Josephine doesn't look like her brother and sister. Like, she is lighter skinned, so she doesn't fit in with the family. And her mother will, like, comment on it. And um, it's something that she's hyper aware of. Can you imagine? That's so, like, in your own home, like, your childhood home that you're growing up in, even if you're poor, it's supposed to be a safe space. But, like, even at home. Her mom's just like, well, you know, Josephine, you re- you really stand out, and I that's just that's just so sad. Josephine just didn't fit in anywhere as a kid. No, and as a result, I can I can definitely sympathize with this. Um, <laughs> she developed a love for animals because oh. you know what, cats and dogs aren't going to tell you you're the wrong shape, size, color, gender, or they don't care. Yeah. Like, they want to just hang out with you. They're going to be that's, nice. That's exactly what she wanted, is just something to care for. So she developed a deep love for animals for the rest of her life. Okay, now, Josephine is eight years old, so it's about time that she gets a fucking job, don't you think, Nathan? Yeah, because babies need jobs. Oh, that's like actually our number one, <laughs> our number one theory here at Queen's Podcast is that we think that maybe babies don't need jobs, but no. she's eight years old, time to start pulling her own weight. Nope. No more yeah. time to be a yeah. fucking slacker. So she goes Dead and beat. lives with Dead a white- Deadbeat eight-year-old. Deadbeat eight-year-old. 
She goes and lives <laughs> with like a middle class uh, white family in town to be a domestic like live-in helper. And because of course they did, because history is horrifying, they abuse her. Yeah. Uh, 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 sorry. Uh, <laughs> there's so many feelings. Um, <laughs> so baby. there's one story where she was helping them with childcare <laughs> and she kissed the top of their baby's head. So they hit her. Like, um, like, don't how you want- dare you be affectionate to my child? I'm going to slap you. What? You also, child. Like, she, uh, uh, if someone is giving your child child care, don't you want them to, like, make, to comfort the child and make the child, like, and <laughs> that's such a natural thing to do. When a child care, is giving your child child care, maybe reassess everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. These are basics. Ugh. But the worst is that one time Josephine still a child Literally. put too much soap in the laundry, which I mean, I might have done the same thing myself. I don't and I don't know how they washed the clothes lady, back then, so I don't know. I don't know what that means. Yeah, right, but. right. So the lady of the house finds out and then puts Josie's hands in scalding hot water. And burns the fuck out of them. And it landed her in the hospital. Like, she's 10. Yeah. At, at the, the oldest. oldest. Yeah. yeah. What What the f- is wrong with you? I also just don't understand this. Like, yeah, maybe Josephine didn't have, like, the autonomy to quit. Because she's, like, um, she's supporting her family. So she can't quit. But if you're so unhappy with her... Just fire her. Don't burn her hands. Ten. I like. (laughs) I didn't find another job. (laughs) I didn't spend a whole lot of time researching her time with this family because it was such a fucking bummer to like think about. Like you're a child. That that's what is wrong with people is what I'm getting at. What (laughs) is wrong with people? And speaking of what's wrong with people, when she was 11, there was an event that took place that shook her to the core for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. So, Katie, have you ever heard of the East St. Louis riots before? Before researching this, no, I hadn't. And it seems like it was a... It just seems like one of those things that American history just brushes under the rug. It's terrifying. <laughs> you mean black history gets swept under the rug? Um, oh, what? it's almost like um, there's a pattern of that that reoccurs oh. here. But yeah, it's like this is basically it's a fucking massacre. Of- yeah. And they documented 39 people, but that's documented. Um, we're Probably, 99.99999% yeah. sure. There's a few other people sprinkled in in that death count. Yes. There's, for, you, for y'all that don't know about it, and we're not going to talk about it too much here because it's a bummer, let us know if you want to deep dive on the um, East St. Louis riots on Patreon or something. But, yeah, it was just the uh, very long story short, um, the black neighborhood in East St. Louis was basically, they were like, white people came and were like, dragging people out of their houses, beating them to death, setting houses on fire. Um, And like you said, 39 people were documented killed. It was probably more. 
But hundreds, if not thousands of people in that community were left homeless because they burnt all these apartment buildings down. Like, yeah, uh, it, it's, oh, God, it's so depressing. And yeah, had you heard about it before this? Yes, actually, I had. And okay. it was like part of the Daisy Bates history research oh, that I went oh, down. Did we talk so about this like, in the Daisy Bates episode? No, but it did come up in her story in the, okay. to inspire. Yes. So Josephine wasn't actually in that part of St. Louis at the time, but she would later say that her and her siblings could see and watch everything that was happening from the other side of the Mississippi River. So, yeah. oh, oh, deep breaths. According to Josephine, she could hear the screams of people running for their lives. That shit affects me, and I wasn't even there. So, and you were a full-ass adult. Yeah, and I'm white. Yeah. So could I am- can't imagine being in the time as a person of color hearing other people running for their lives. This had to affect her for the rest of her life. Oh, and it did. She would bring it. She would talk about it as much as she was given opportunity, which I do love that about her. Like her, she didn't hide from the traumas of her childhood. Like Mm -hmm. when she, she wrote about them in her documentaries and probably improv half of it. (laughs) When she had, when she had a platform, she would talk about this. Yeah, also fucking terrifying. (laughs) Hashtag, I hate it here. Absolutely, 100%. So somewhere along the way in childhood, Josephine fell in love with dancing. And if you're not... If you're not if you're not French, dancing means dancing. Um, she would later tell stories about dancing on street <laughs> corners as a kid, hoping people passed by would throw her some coins. Which hashtag same girl, and yeah. she loved it. Like love, 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 loved it. Yeah. She loved she the lo- music. She loved the rhythm. She loved the attention it got her. Okay, something we need to know about Josephine Baker. This bitch loves attention, which is incredibly relatable. Gemini, um, hello. <laughs> where's where's my stage? Where's the lighting? Can someone cue the sound? We're ready to perform, darling. <laughs> <laughs> We're Geminis. <laughs> Funny how if you don't get attention and affection at home, you go out and seek it from strangers. Um, What's that quote? What's that quote from Chicago? (laughs) Because none of us got enough love in our childhood. And that's showbiz, kid. It is. Because somebody's got to put on a show, right? And Josephine Baker was like, it's me. Hi. Yeah, she's a (laughs) ham girl. Like, she likes to make people laugh. She's really good at it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, this is on par for the course where people who have traumatic lives and have to deal with a lot of issues end up being the funniest fucking people that you can ever fucking know. It's true. Because they know how to make bad things funny. And it's, yeah, she's funny as hell. Like she she's the so it girl funny. at this moment. Everybody that she ever knew is just like, say what you want about Josephine Baker, but that bitch knows how to work a crowd, and she's funny as hell from a really, really young age. So at 13, 
she's working at a restaurant. Um, I guess after the whole hand burn thing, she was like, you know what? Maybe washing clothes isn't for me. So she's working at a restaurant. At the age of 13, she meets husband number one. Not like at the age of 13 and then five years later they got married. No. At 13, she marries a guy named Willie Wells. Except, little asterisk, um, even back then, 13 was below the legal age to get married. So we're going to use quote-unquote marriage very loosely. Her quote-unquote yeah. first marriage at 13. Underaged marriages are not good marriages. So no. not a lot is known about this marriage quote-unquote marriage <laughs> <laughs> except that it was short huh imagine that and by the ripe old age of uh 14 she considered herself a divorce woman <laughs> could you a imagine being like a, a, four- a 14 year old being like i'm throwing a divorce party and you're <laughs> like, like what what <laughs> I wonder if she, like, I wonder if it was a way to escape her unhappy home with her mom. Oh, 100%. Because it, um, I actually see a lot of parallels in this story. Do you remember Victoria Woodhull? Oh, yeah. Probably the only other woman that we've discussed that grew up in this kind of poverty. Um, and also married super, super young. Um, to get away from her abusive family. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so she's divorced, so she's got to go back to work. 14-year-old, out there, living her divorced life. And she gets a job working as at a theater as a laundry cleaning and, like, dressing room cleaning, just, like, cleaning person. And she didn't want to get her hands burnt that time because she actually wanted to be on the stage. Um, again, that's that's French for stage. Lostage. Uh, Lostage. So she made sure everyone in the production knew that she was going to be the one on stage. And guess what? I could dance. I could dance. <laughs> and she learned, like, she would go, like, when she was in between cleaning, she would watch the dancers dance and then go teach herself the dance so that she could tell everybody, like, I've learned all the steps, so, you know, if you ever need an understudy for one of the dancers, I can dance. Did you know that I can dance? I've been dancing my whole life. My mother was a dancer. Did I mention that I could dance? If y'all ever need a dancer, I can dance. And around, and like, so cat. everyone, ev- I'm a everyone there. And I can dance. Oh, my God. You just unlocked a memory. I hadn't thought about that. It was a core memory. Oh, my God. I haven't thought about that. And I can dance. And I dance, 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 I do sexy things while I'm dancing. If I can find that, I'll put it up on Instagram. Jesus, I hadn't thought about cat. So around this time, she married again. Again. Another Willie. Willie. Baker, last name might sound familiar, and mm. this time she was 15, which is apparently the legal age to marry in the 1920s. But uh, she didn't want to quit her job because she was like, okay, look, eventually one of the showgirls, they're going to get sick, and I know all the steps, I know all the dance, dance, dances, and the dance, dance, dances, <laughs> um, and I do sexy things when I'm dancing. Dancing! And 
they're gonna give me the part because eventually she's like eventually oh my god our our listeners who are like 21 are gonna be like what the fuck are they talking about like go look even... up cat and dance i'll find it <laughs> anyway but yeah she was like it's literally just a game of odds at this point if i know all the steps eventually someone's gonna have to call out sick one day and they're gonna need me i can't quit my job and this was a huge rift between her and her mother. Her mom was like, you're never going to be a fucking dancer. You need to let this dream go. Um, dreams, don't like, that's not going to pay the bills. That's not. And she was like, look, you have married this Baker guy. And Willie Baker, we don't know shit about him, but it seems like he was nice and he had a job. So the bar is on the floor, but that's where the bar was for women in the <laughs> 1920s. And so it was like, you need to just stay home, take care of your man, keep house, cook, have babies. And Josephine's like, that's just that that's just not where I am in my life. That's not at no. all what I want to do. She has dreams of dream gone by and hope and high of life worth living. <laughs> She's singing Lane right. Rob. Um, right, she has ladies. dreams. She has dreams. She's, I mean, she's 15. She's got to give it a shot, man. You can't, you can't give up on your dreams when you're like, she, she can't even drive a car yet. I don't know what the law around driving cars was back then. You can't laws. tell a 15-year-old that, yeah. Did they even have laws back then? Did, like, babies drive cars? Probably. But it was like, babies no, you have. Jobs, so babies, babies had jobs, so babies Babies had jobs, so babies could. <laughs> Look, my six-month-old needs to make it to their shift at the coal mine. Here's the keys, baby. Like, <laughs> Sadly, we laugh, but this is probably what happened. Um, so she... She got her chance when she was a dancer in a troupe called the Dixie Steppers. Ooh. Um, and um, as a Dixie Stepper and had to quit. And someone was like, hey, I think that skinny laundry girl knows all the steps. To oh, the- how do you know that? Because she won't fucking shut up about it? Like, did <laughs> she mention to you that she knows all the steps? We know she yeah. has all the steps. Somebody <laughs> so let's give, give her, her a chance, costume. right? <laughs> come on, come on. It's her turn. It's her I, turn. I don't think anyone expected her to succeed. She wasn't the right look. She was super, you know, she was a lot younger than the other girls. The costume that they gave her, again, she's like 15. She's super skinny. She hasn't got her boobs in yet. This is my favorite. You know? This is my favorite part of the whole story. They gave her this costume that's way too big way too ugly and she's just like what the is is this somebody's joking somebody's fucking ridiculous well like she's 15 and the woman who she's replacing was like a grown-ass voluptuous woman and she's like 15 and doesn't have her adult boobs in yet you know like and so she's like i look ridiculous i look like a joke so she made it a joke. She was like, well, I'm good at jokes. I'll just make this whole thing a joke. I love it. So she goes out on stage in this chorus line and starts doing this dance. And I'm not talking like, da, 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 da. like she's not dancing like all the other dancers. She's pulling out these silly faces, gangly arms, crossing her eyes, sticking her tongue out, gangly legs, and the audience is 
Loving it. Loving it. She is being goofy. Everyone else is straight dancing, doing their kicks and stuff, and she's, like, tripping over herself on purpose, just being a goofy bitch. And, like, after a few nights, uh, word gets out, like, this girl in this show is fucking hilarious because the audience all thinks it it's on purpose. Yeah. And so more and more people are coming, and so then the showrunners are like, Give her more and more time. Let's give her a solo. Let's give her a bigger part. Like, people are loving it. And the Rockettes are pissed. <laughs> the Rockettes are pissed. <laughs> the Rockettes are pissed. And this bitch walks in, acting a goof face, and she takes the spotlight. No, this is a joke. You're a little girl. Like, what is going on here? But they throw her makeup away like these women would throw her makeup away hide her costumes the rockets are mean girl like not in real life but no. in this story we don't know any rockets um, but in yes, this story the rockets are like we take this seriously and you're acting like this is a joke so they yeah they were not nice to her but and then josie like channeled her inner Taylor Swift and started singing, hey, it's gonna, hey, 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 hey. Yeah, she's like, let that shit roll on right off my back. Uh, In the words of um, famous philosopher 50 Cent, um, let them hate, and if they hate, watch the money pile up. And she was like, whatever. I'm sure 50 Cent was a big part of Josephine Baker's life. Um, She's just like... Let them, let them, let them say what they're gonna say. I don't give a fuck. Fucking, they're coming to see me. They're not coming to see you. Whatever. Hide my makeup. Whatever. So in 1922, they take the Dixie Steppers on the road, and she Ooh. was like, "Goodbye, Willie Baker. Bye, uh, Willie hello, Baker. New York. Hello, New York. New York." Concrete jungle where dreams are made of something (laughs) Okay, I can't wait to hear about Josephine taking New York. But you know what? I need to top off my drink. Yes, let's do so and we will be right back. I'm Jane Perlez longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. 
You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science Podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. And we're back. Yes. So, Josie is in New York performing with her troupe. This is probably already, like, exceeding her dreams. Like, this poor little girl from St. Louis is now in New York performing. But she's like, okay, while I'm here, I may as well start auditioning for other shows. Like, take what I can get. But when she'd go and audition for Broadway shows, she'd, like, wear makeup to lighten her skin. But they kept telling her, you're too dark, you're too skinny. Like, you're not passing. And that must have been really hard because, you know, she's probably already got a little bit of a complex for that as well. And then I also read, like, she would go – because the Harlem Renaissance was having its moment in New York at this point, which was just, like, a um, boom of interest in black culture that was, like, a little bit more mainstream. But a lot of the time she would she would audition for stuff in um you know like black troops and she was told she was too light skinned. So it's just like ugh. Ugh. I know that trauma coming back. <laughs> like ugh. ugh. And eventually she did land on Broadway in Okay. <sighs> the name this show don't I hate it here. I hate it here. Um the name of the show is the Chocolate Dandies. Um which sounds delicious for a candy, but not for people. <laughs> not when you wear blackface. Um, she had to wear blackface in this show. That's what? bad. Um, and even the in the twenties, that's bad. Like, yeah. come on, guys, come on. You're making a half black woman wear blackface as anybody. She's anybody not wears. good enough already. Like, she felt demoralized. And like, did she? We don't know. I I would. I yeah. would like, oh my gosh, she, but if she did, she didn't show it in her performances. She ate it up. She ate it up. She left no crumbs, not a single crumb. Cause like we said, fucking ham and ham's going to ham. She gave every single performance of this goofy ass show 110%. And Nathan, did the people love her? Yes, they loved her. <laughs> this goofy, skinny, funny girl. She was a fucking hit. Absolutely nailed it every single performance, which we knew. We knew that was going to happen. Yeah. And sad side notes, she's sending money back home to her mom. And it seems like her mom was really ungrateful about this. And all she wanted to know was, hey, when are you coming back home to have some babies and be a housewife? Like, really, mom? I'm on Broadway. Like, really? And her mom, who you would think wanted to be on vaudeville herself would be like yay but mom unimpressed 
Do you think maybe her mom was jealous? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, I always wanted to do this. You certainly can't do it if I couldn't make it. And now that her daughter's starting to make it, she's just jealous. The um, chocolate dandies didn't last that long. Um, it, I think the run was about a year, maybe a little bit less. But it wasn't, it wasn't considered a huge hit. But people were talking about Josie. She was the one thing from the show that stood out like, okay. So in 1925, at the age of 19, Josie was approached by the socialite woman. And she was like, um, I'm, I'm producing a show. I'm wanting to put together this show that I want to open in Paris. And then after Paris, I want to tour it all over Europe. And I want you to be our lead dancer. At the time in a lot of Europe, black entertainers are very popular, which is nice, but also kind of icky because they had this fascination with black culture at the time. Um, It wasn't even so much black culture at the time. It was just like, uh, it was just like, it was a trend to be into black performers in a way that just seemed almost... What's the word? Demoralizing. Like it was a spectacle. Like it was a trend. Like not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we've decided to not say some of the names of the shows or numbers she was in. But basically the show that this American producer was putting together was going to be called The Black Review. And it was made up of 25 black actors and dancers. And Josephine would have been the primary danza if you will so i i couldn't really find anything about how josephine actually felt about this like was she proud to be starring in an all-black show did she care what she was in so long she was in something did she feel like a spectacle did she feel like she was capitalizing on a trend like i i could imagine being like look is my heritage nothing besides like a passing trend for entertainment for you guys Who knows? Was she nervous to be in a whole new country? Remember back then, they traveled, you would travel to France by a fucking boat. Like, that's a long journey. She's never left America before. She doesn't speak French. We don't know what she was going through mentally at the time, but we have to, we have to assume she's going through something. She's going through it. Um, Nerves. (laughs) <laughs> excitement fear sadness scared all the emotions everywhere all depression ah, yeah but we have to assume that she heard about what it was like in france for people of color mm-hmm. because at that time in france segregation wasn't a thing and uh, in case you don't know American history at the time, we're gonna get a little dark here because uh skim over it. Let's not let's not dive deep yeah. into segregation, but let's just give people the TLDR so, of what segregation was. If you were black, you couldn't eat with someone who was white in the same restaurant. You couldn't use the same bathroom, you couldn't see, use the same church, you couldn't use the same water fountain, you couldn't use the same anything. Non whites, you are a second class citizen. Yeah. So I'm sure she had heard that France was integrated, but like she probably didn't fully believe it because that's all she's ever fucking known. Even when she was living in New York, which was like the cultural, like 
centerpiece like for forward thinking in America at the time still there it was segregated so I'm sure she heard oh it's not segregated there and she's like oh okay we'll see because she'd never known anything else so I have to imagine that when she arrived it was like culture shock like wait I can just enter this hotel through the front door I can just go to the bathroom without someone trying to burn me out of it. Like, really? I can just stand in line for a drink. I don't have to, like, give a white person the spot in line in front of me. Like, if black people come and see my show, they can sit wherever their ticket, like, whatever they paid for for their tickets. They don't have to just automatically sit in the back of the theater. Like, I... I have to imagine, what do you think her emotions would have been for that, Nathan? Like, I think she had to have felt happy about that in some form or fashion. I have to imagine that it would be, like, very liberating. Like, very, like, oh, oh, I just get to be a normal person here. Yeah, right? But now it's time to perform. Um, the theater. The first, the first number to make her famous is called... <sighs> God damn it, with these titles of these goddamn songs. They're never good. Um, the title of this song is mm, The Savage Dance. Um, mm-hmm. Not in love with it. Yeah, not in love with it. But the audience loved it. And Josephine is dressed in a feather skirt, some big chunky jewelry, some sandals, and that's it. Yes. Yeah. Titties. Dim titties are all out. And Paris Paris loved dim titties. I mean, (laughs) the French people love dim titties. Like, let's be Who doesn't love dim titties? Titties are great. Um, I love dim titties. Titties are great no matter what size or shape. Yes, 100%. That's my my Dr. Seuss moment right there. Oh, all the titties that you'll see. I, I'm wondering, because I want to post some of the pictures that remain, like, still survive of her in this costume. But I don't know. Do you think Instagram will take down pictures if I post dim titties on them? Well, I don't see any nipple. So I think we're okay. That one I sent you earlier, though, there was some nipple in There was one. nipple. Yeah. But in, in these photos, there's no nipple. But. Yeah. In this dance, she was carried out by this big, muscly guy who dressed similarly and throws her around. She lands and splits and kicks. And she gets up and starts doing this dance that was supposed to be, like, representative of, you know, African-style dances. But no idea if they actually consulted with african dance experts or if this was just a racist trope that europeans thought that african dances were but (laughs) doesn't matter doesn't matter loved it and they were tripping over themselves just to get tickets to see dim titties dim Uh, (laughs) titties it was all anyone could talk about and um i had yeah we have a picture in the show notes of Josephine and her male dancer. And, like, how fun is that picture? Like, they look like they're having a good time. Though, again, it could be a little bit degrading to be, like... A little bit. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you're black, so you have to wear these 
black loincloths, basically. Yeah, like he's a little racist. Yeah. So it, but in no time, Josie from St. Louis was the talk of the town in Paris. Y'all, she went from zero to biggest celebrity in like blink of an eye overnight. She gets the nickname the Black Venus. She's making $250 a week, which I um, did, like, a rough conversion of on this website. So that's about $5,000 a week in modern-day money. Can you oh, imagine? She's it up. She just buying a, just a year ago, mm-hmm. Just a year ago, just a couple of years ago, she was sleeping in a cardboard box. And now, and now she's, she's making fancy champagne, toasting everybody, dancing like a, with her titties out, loving her life. Imagine she is hanging out with. I read this one thing because like Pablo Picasso loved her, and I read this one thing where she pretended like she didn't know Picasso's name, and she was like, "Oh, that you know that guy that does the doodles, Pizan Pizago or something like," and just like got his yes. name wrong on purpose. I love ah! it. She's touring She's in Europe. high society. She's money, right? Money, money. She's yeah. making so much bef- money. And before long, she's in her own shows. She is starring in her own shows. And um, Banana Skirt has entered the chat. <laughs> if you know nothing about Josephine Baker, like if you know one thing about her, you probably know the Banana Skirt dance. Which we will definitely post a picture of on our Instagram. Or just look it up. Search Josephine Baker Banana Skirt. Um, It's her most famous look. She's wearing a banana skirt. Like a skirt. And that's it. (laughs) And that's it. A skirt made of plastic bananas. And that is it. Again, dim titties. Dim titties. Tittyan. They are tittying all over Paris. And the city's gonna tits, 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 tits. In the 90s, in the 90s, they, um, HBO made a biopic on Josephine Baker's life. Did you get a chance to watch that, Nathan? It's completely up on YouTube. Yes, I did. It's great. They recreated this dance, which I appreciated so much because there are videos on YouTube of like the dance, but it's hard to watch because they're videos from the 30s you know like it's not easy Mm -hmm. to watch so they recreated this dance for that movie which i think the movie was pretty good so go watch it it's on youtube but basically the banana skirt dance is um again don't love it it's basically it's set in a jungle josephine is living in a jungle wearing her bananas and pearls and nothing else and um titty's just vibing out there in the jungle and then this white guy in like a safari outfit comes out with this big net and no and that is the entire dance he tries to catch her while she runs away. And that's the dance. And she does her goofy faces. She does the Charleston. She does the quote-unquote traditional dance, like African dances. <laughs> it so, is, it's slapstick. It's all over the place. And it's all anyone could talk about. And this doesn't seem problematic at all. Mm, um, a little problematic. It's, it's a little bit problematic, yeah. Yeah, but... If Josie felt any kind of demeaned by this performance, she didn't let it show because she was absolutely in love with how everyone loved her and they were love her for loving them. And that's showbiz, kid. That was that's what the world that she kid. was in. She, yes. And she was loving this new world that she's in. Yeah, pretty much all of Europe was in love with her. 
This is not long after World War One, and people were thirsty for fun and fantasy and goofy, and she was all of that. She was different and not afraid to, like, make fun of herself, and she wanted to keep it lighthearted. Just as what people needed, even her terrorizing the city of Paris with her pet cheetah is what everyone Wait. needed. <laughs> Wait, did... <laughs> Did you just say she had a pet cheetah? Yup. Chiquita the cheetah. Oh, no. Oh, no. She would bring Chiquita the cheetah on stage with her for the banana skirt dance. And sometimes Chiquita would, like, get into the orchestra pit. And, like, so you would, like, the music would just stop because everyone's running from the cheetah. And, again, that is just what the people needed they needed this like levity they needed something funny and she would walk chiquita the cheetah around the streets of paris with a diamond studded collar i love this i I mean i don't like animal cruelty but i mean if i were to be an animal i would want a diamond studded collar Okay, and you so would I'm want to be walked around by Josephine Baker, I think. I mean, this might be this might be a kink of mine. We never Ooh, know. Wait, so. mm. <laughs> well, why don't we? Okay, while we, why don't we just take a minute to process um, <laughs> Nathan and everything as kinks, everything there. <laughs> Maybe I do need another another drink after having that image in my head, and we will be right. Thank back. you and good night. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. All right, so along the way, she meets this man who calls himself... An Italian count. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, just like Josephine, liked to quote unquote improve on life. Not lie, improve on life. So he almost certainly wasn't actually a count. He was originally a stonemason from Sicily, but he had moved to Paris and reinvented himself, which, good for him. He was a smart guy, he was well connected, and he was obsessed. With Josephine. His name was Giuseppe Abatino, but everyone called him Pepito. 
Papito. Sounds like he has a small dick. And by 1927, he became her manager and her lover for the next 10 years. And he was like, look, people in Paris get bored easily. So you, Josie, need to invent yourself. And not just invent yourself, but constantly reinvent yourself. Reinvent, yeah. You need to learn every kind of dance. So... Let's take ballet lessons. And she did take ballet lessons from George Balanchine, which oh. that's, that's just a small name that you throw out in the ballet <laughs> world. MBD. Um, yeah. You need to learn how to sing. Let's take voice lessons from Nathan Foster. You know, just just like George Balanchine. Oh, no. Yes. No. Yes. Terrible. Nathan. Uh, Nathan in his past <laughs> life giving Josephine <laughs> Baker uh, voice lessons. <laughs> and for the love of God, learn French. Um, (laughs) Uh, take some french lessons yes you need to learn to speak the fucking language and at first it seems like josie was a little nervous like is this guy a con man does he just want to take my money does he actually want to help me does he actually love me but he actually turned out to be a really really good manager and he was legitimately in love with her just like everyone else but, I know everyone was but he was like really really in love with her I wish Pepito was in the story for longer because I, I kind of like him mm. yeah and it worked while he was her manager she made serious serious fucking money that $5,000 a week is like chump change now like she yeah. is rolling in it And it's really smart for her to be continually reinventing herself because she's like the modern day Madonna. It gives, it's giving me Madonna a lot. Like how back in the eighties and nineties, Madonna had a new, had a new look, had a new style, had a new genre just about every five years. And it kept people, it kept people interested. Yeah. Paris, France, they're all captivated by her. And Their attention spans are really short. Ours are shorter now, but they're really short, especially for starlets. But Pablo Picasso called her the Nefertiti of now. I (gasps) love that. What, or whatever she called him, she was like, Publico Pajarzo. You know, like she didn't, she actually (laughs) didn't know his name. Like, Pajama Picasso. Yeah, that. Like, capitalizing on her popularity, she opens a club called Chez Josephine, which is still open, though today it goes, it's it's still open, it's been continuously open, but now it's called Chez Dumont. Josie loved her club. She loved mm. being a club owner, because on stage, she got to perform to her fans but at the club, she got to party with her fans and hear them tell her how much they loved her performances. I love this because <laughs> that's what I like is when I get off stage and people are like, oh, my God, you were so great. And I'm like, mm, thank Come you. to my club. I'll buy you a drink and you can tell me that all night. <laughs> yeah. So she goes straight from her stage performances where she danced her ass off straight to the club where she danced her ass off again with her friends all night and then this woman still had so much energy and just absolute love for life and everyone loved being around her and she didn't want to just 
dance with famous stars. She didn't just want to dance with high society. She got the cooks out. She got the servants out, the waiters, the hostesses. She got the, who let the dogs out? She would bring, she'd be like, oh, your dog's here? Bring your dog out on the dance floor. I love that, that she was like, look, I've been a washerwoman before. You're washing our linens and stuff in the back. Come dance a song. Like, I I just love, I wish I could have partied with Josephine Baker. That sounds like such a time. Um, speaking of partying with Josephine Baker, lots of people did. We're not going to go into it because it's not really an integral part of her story. But if you're interested, maybe we can do a Patreon again. She had so many lovers. Um, she was a bisexual bitch. She was, yeah, she was. Men and women and she played around with it. (laughs) Oh, oh. Did you just come up with that yourself? She loved the men and women, and she loved to play around with it. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but no, her uh, fill son. Filling the dot. <laughs> yeah. Her son um, would later write a biography saying that she had a short affair with Frida Kahlo. Oh, hey, unibrow. I see you. I would have loved to have partied with Josephine Baker and Frida Kahlo. Like, can you even imagine? I mean, that would be a blast. That would be a fucking blast. Absolutely. And they talk about their friend, Parjo Paglabo, or whatever his name is. Parjo (laughs) Pajama Picasso. (laughs) Pajama Um, Picasso. So in 1927, Josie made history by, you know, not just partying with Pajama Picasso, but... Mm -hmm. By being the first black woman to appear as a lead in a movie. Let me say that again. In 1927, Josie made history by being the first black woman to appear as a lead in a movie. Love this. It seems like the movie probably wasn't very good. But it doesn't matter. It is the point. Like, it is that she... Like, I guess before then, they were just like, we can't put a black woman on film. It'll burn people's eyeballs out. And like, no, she was that level of star. They were like, we got to put this woman in a film. I love that. She is doing so much. She is making so much money. And she is one of the richest, independently wealthy women in the world. And it's 100% self-made. Something I love about Josephine is she, she is never... Yeah, she does go on to have some advantageous relationships later, but she has never relied on men for her money, for her security. She is an independently wealthy woman. Yes, her her fake count helped her get there, but it's her name. It's her that's making this money, you know? So love this journey. So something else we love is that she would go to the really poor slums of Paris and be like, hey. Hey, what do y'all need? Y'all need shoes, bread, blankets, a little bit of cocaine. No, she didn't say that last part. I threw We don't know. We weren't there. We weren't yeah, there. Yeah. She may have. A little have. bit of snuff. <laughs> Who knows? And then she would send one of her assistants back the next day, and they would give them shoes, bread, blankets, maybe a little cocaine. But maybe. she did this for years. Yeah. She knew what it was like to be in poverty, so she gave it. Back. To other people. Yeah. So this is really yeah. great about her. 
She's a really generous person. I think in part two, we'll probably get into that a little bit more, but she just has a heart of fucking gold. So she's one of the most popular women in the world. We've, we've established this. However, there were two markets in the world where she was not really getting the love that the rest of the world was giving her. So we're going to wind down this episode by discussing these two places Ugh. that didn't love her. Sadly, Sorry. we have to start at home. Ugh. She was not a hit in the United States. No, and- she was not in the U.S. So she returned to the U.S. in 1936, about nine years after she left. And she got a spot on Broadway, and she's ready to knock everybody's bras off. Mm-hmm. And they're not ready for her titties. Um, first no. of all... She arrives, and a friend of hers who's a Japanese heiress picks her up at the port in, you know, pink Rolls Royce. And, you know, driving it in in style. Except they get to the hotel where she had reservations for, like, weeks. And the manager was like, "Mm, I'm sorry. (laughs) Didn't realize you were black. And she's like, um... Excuse me, I've been in France this whole time and nobody gives a fuck about what color I am. And they're like, no, you can't stay here. And she's like, ugh. They ended up going to like five or six hotels in New York. And she, you know, the most famous and rich woman in the world, was turned away from every single one of them. And each time, Josie, like the badass bitch she is, is like, "Hmm, you're lost. I'll spend my money elsewhere. But she was, she was humiliated. I mean, how soul crushing is that? Of course she was. That is so embarrassing. And finally, her friend was like, look, my family has an apartment in the city. We usually rent it out to artists to use for like, um, you know, a creating space. We don't technically, we don't have anybody renting it right now. I don't know what state it's in. I don't know if the sheets on the bed are clean, but you can stay there. And so Josephine's like, fine. And But then once they got back to the apartment, obviously Josephine just breaks down. And it's just like this whole time she's been acting like, well, I don't want to stay anywhere that I'm not wanted. Mm, I'm too good for this place anyway. But then once she gets where she's like, you know, wanted in secluded space, she just breaks down and cries just like... Mm. What do I have to do? What Uh, do I have to do to get the respect of the people in my own fucking country? Uh, And just like sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. Oh, I hate that. I hate this. Okay, so she's there. She's there in the U.S. Why? Because she needs to perform. Yeah. So she tones down this performance because she can't dance topless on Broadway. Yeah. Americans she's, ain't ready. Yeah. It's a totally different show, but she still sang. She still danced. And she gave it her all. And people hated it. Hated uh, it. Oh. So it was like one star review on Yelp. And everybody was like, <laughs> oh, my God, what is wrong with this? And they're like, mm, it was just peasantry. And basically, they the Americans were like, go back to France. That y'all, y'all, if y'all want to if y'all want to look up some of the reviews, we've decided not to read them here because ick. 
Like, one of them's even like, how did this daughter of a washerwoman make it onto Broadway? Like, and then just really racist, just ugh. So, yeah, she is, like, heartbroken and goes back to Paris. And when she gets to Paris, when she gets back, she's like, fuck it. And she renounces her American citizenship. Fuck it, I'm be- French now. I'm French now, exactly fuck did. it. Exactly. I want to do think- that one day. I just want to, I want to walk over to, like, whoever the prime minister is and be like, fuck it, I'm French now. And they'll be like, I'm yes, French yes now. you are. <laughs> Queen's is podcast, y'all. Macron? Isn't that the isn't that the president or whatever now? Macron. As long as he sa- as, as long as he serves me a macaroon at the same time. Oh, I love a good macaroon. Gives up her American citizenship. Fuck it, I'm French now. Like she's like, why would I ever want to go back there? I am literally the toast of Paris, and there I can't even get a hotel. Like what? Yeah, people in France would pay her. To stay in hotels, but yes! in America, she's being turned away from them. Meh. Fuck, fuck it. She also broke up with Mister Fake Count. Um, oh, that's Pepito or whatever that's his name good. was. Well, I don't. I feel like he really did love her, but so she marries this dude and like legit this time because she couldn't marry the Count guy because she actually didn't get around to divorcing um, Willie Baker until she went back to New York. <laughs> and so her. uh yeah and so she marries this guy named jean leon it's spelled like lion though which i love and i bet she loved as an animal lover he's not particularly important to this story he's only around for less than 10 years so we might not even mention him again but this is husband number three though i do think what do you think i think in her heart she considered herself married to pepito to fake count. Yeah, but I think she liked this guy. I really do yeah. think she liked Jean Lyon. <laughs> Legally only marriage number two, but also kind of marriage Technically number three. four. Four. Well, oh. yeah, yeah, you're right. So. You're right. <laughs> and she's just turned 30. <laughs> oh, hey, girl. <laughs> so we said that there were two places that didn't like her, and it sucks that one of them... Happened to be her home country. But the other one, just a wee bit scarier. They were very much not fans of her in a little country called Germany in the late 20s and early 30s. Mm -hmm. So her shows still sold out, but people were literally scared into not attending them by this group of people called the Brown Shirts. Um, (laughs) Without much going into it, they are basically Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. Also, she was mixed race, which Nazis... Very well known for not liking mixing the races. For for this group of people, they looked at her and also just called her immortal. Um, one, um, not immortal, Jesus, immoral. They big were difference. Like, big difference. <laughs> one letter, big difference. I'm the immortal of the immorals. <laughs> <laughs> that is my title. Yes. Um <laughs> So these people that you were talking about, the brown, the brown shirts, they kind of viewed themselves as like the more morality police. And one, she's mixed race, so she's already immoral from her existence. And two, her dances were sexy, très sexy, like mm, très sexy. Ah. 
But Josephine told a local newspaper, she's like, I'm not immoral. I'm just natural. Like, boobs are natural. They're not immoral. They're just, they exist. They're part of life, you know? One Austrian newspaper called her the black devil. Oh, Lord. Don't love. Don't love. Yeah. So Josie was doing a showcase with a blonde actress in Austria named Lee Settle, who was very traditionally Austrian looking, a.k.a. blonde hair, blue eyes, don't call me, don't at me, it's not my fault. (laughs) Um, And the newspaper read, how dare they put that insert insults we aren't going to say right now. How dare they put that mm, on stage with Leah Hill? Like, and Leah was like, "Wait, no! I, I love Josephine. I am so excited to work with her. Don't print that. Don't act like it's an insult to me to put me on stage with her." But of course, they didn't. They didn't nope. print her response to it. They just repent. Rep- you know, printed. How dare they put this? Aryan goddess on stage with this mixed race person and very much made it read like this actress Leah agreed with those statements when she didn't. So I think that's important. I don't know who this Leah Seidel lady is. She doesn't come up again, but I think it's important to note that she did not want to be racist. I like her. I like her. I like her a whole lot. What's her number? Um, So yeah, Josie was like, you know what? I don't need y'all. So her show in Berlin was supposed to run for six months, but after three weeks, she was like, <laughs> contract broken. I don't, I don't feel, feel safe. safe. I don't like it here. You guys treat me like crap. I'm going to get the book out. And it also sucks because it does seem like the general public was excited for her coming, but it was just this radical government movement that like literally – told people like, yeah, you can buy tickets to this show, but we're going to be standing at the door making sure you can't go in. You know, so it's really sad. Um, Also another super bummer. So the guys that had been managing her show on the Berlin side, the ones that like they had to like let her break her contract and everything. She was like, I don't feel safe. They were a couple of Jewish brothers known as the Rotter brothers. (laughs) And after Josie bounced, they were like, hey, maybe we should bounce as well. And so they tried to leave Germany, but they were hunted down and they did not survive. Uh, I so, know. Oh, this, is a so problem. this is a problematic time in European history. So let's fast forward a few years to 1939. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a fast forward of anxiety. Um, fast forward cry. Uh, Josephine at this point is a hundred percent French citizen. She's married to a French guy. They bought a French chateau together called the Chateau de Million. And how French is that? I love it. Can you get more French? Where's my Bordeaux? Uh, Where's my croissant? Where's my champagne? Um, (laughs) And France and France decides to declare war on Germany. And to be honest, this is all not looking good because it's 1939. And if Josephine had been a man, AKA if she had a dick, I think she would have actually enlisted in the army. But she famously said, France made me who I am. 
and I'm ready to give my life to France. <gasps> Imagine if America would have treated her right. We Preach. could, she could have done the same thing over here, but it wasn't long until she was contacted by the French intelligence agency. And so this spy, like this basically like spy handler guy, calls her up and is like, hey, I heard um, you were interested in doing your part for the war. Were were you serious about that? Because this is not going to be easy. Being an intelligence agent for a government during wartime is not going to be easy. We cannot guarantee your safety. Are you really ready to risk your life for France? And she's like, fucking try me. Let's go. Yes! And I think... That's where we're going to leave her for today. Yes. Oh, my God. I cannot wait to get into Josephine the Spy next week. Yes, All right, Nathan. Queen. Well, this was so much fun. I'm going to go top off my drink and um, have a good rest of the night nerding out about Josephine Baker as a spy. So I'll talk to you later. Cheers, bitches. Cheers, bitch. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day, there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts.